back in on Canuck Central. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here in the Kintec studio. Canuck Central is for Enzyme Pacific Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Camby and Main or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. Uh, we're going to bring in our first guest of the show. So we go to the Dispatch Plumbing Heating and Air Conditioning Hotline to welcome in the triple threat. You hear him here on radio, you watch him on television, you read his great work at sportsnet.ca. It is Ian McIntyre, live from Raleigh, North Carolina. What's happening, iMac? Well, I've taken a break from my barbecue dinner, which is which is good because I need to re-energize to finish what's on my plate. So, <laughs> but I just had I just had uh, I would say the best wings that I've ever had. They were smoked uh, pork barbecue. Well, they're not pork wings. <laughs> they don't have wings. But I'm in I'm in a uh, whole hog barbecue place, and the guy recommended the wings, which are smoked in their whatever they smoke it and and uh it was it was delicious very very unlike i have to say because uh, i thought well chicken wings are chicken wings very unlike the uh the fried and deep fried stuff that we are accustomed to so so uh are we talking like barbecue sauce is it just like a cajun spicy like, no what, they, what they they had they had a regional uh north carolina white sauce which oh. i don't know what's in it. But it was awfully good. <laughs> it was awfully good. Oh, so uh, I got a, a, now I got a stack of Fred Flintstone like pork ribs. But by the way, Fred Flintstone was a cartoon before my time, but a lot of people might still get the reference. Um, Man, how old do you have to be to not know what the yeah, Flintstones I mean, are? I grew up with the Flintstones ben? too. Do, do, does Ben know what the Flintstones I know what are? They are okay. Yeah, good. Sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think we're okay on this one, iMac. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I once had a reference. Poor Dana Merzen. That Dana Merzen skated the way Fred Flintstone drove his car. <laughs> uh, Dana Merzen catching strays again. I know. Uh, poor, poor Dana. I like Merzen. Dana. We we get along. That's, uh, that's pretty good. By, by, by the way, uh, Dana Merzen was considered this really big defenseman back in the day, right? Yeah. Like you remember how tall he was, Ian? Uh, I know he was bigger than most. I, I'm going to say he was six two. Yeah, you're right. Like he was six two. Like you know, I, for some reason. But he I, was. But he was thick. He, he was, was probably six two to thirty. Yeah, he was yeah. a big guy. He was a hundred percent. But it was just funny because when, when I when we referenced back to you know big defensemen, Canucks defensemen of the past, like he's six two and he was big. Now the Canucks have real big defensemen, like guys that are like six ten, six eight, six nine. So times have quite have changed quite a bit in terms of the size of these D men as well. Because yeah, six two was even more huge. Yeah. Even more so, uh, sat the mobility of the big guy. Yes. Because back then, you didn't have to be both. If you were big, that seemed to be enough. Now, you got to be big and mobile and, and handle the puck. But Dana Merzen was a great Canuck because he, he did a lot of the, the thankless uh, jobs at a time when those jobs weren't a lot of fun uh, for, his, for his team. You know, he opened a butcher shop when he retired. Oh, that's good. He was a man in touch with beef. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's it's not often. I didn't know how to say that. I, I started running various combinations through my head. Well, what's that going to sound like to say that? Well, he's in touch with, uh, it can't say he's in touch with his meat. So, no. but anyways. You're in touch with those. Enough, of, there, enough, though, of, yeah. enough of being there. So Canucks practice. Uh, I, I guess you could tell the, uh, the, the stakes are raised on the season here that, uh, uh, we have iMac live tweeting practice from Raleigh, North Carolina, on a Sunday night. Uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, that, that hasn't happened the last couple of years. I, I don't think not nearly as often. But um, that's that's kind of where we've gone now that the Canucks are where they are in the standings, and they're the first team to make uh, a big addition at at the trade deadline. What was your initial assessment of Elias Lindholm in Canucks colors? Well, I think I also, uh, to be fair, it wasn't a couple of years, but it was one year ago, because I think the last time I really live-tweeted or made any effort to, because I'm actually you know, trying to watch practice and think about things to write, <laughs> yes. uh, was, was the same practice last year, coming out of the All-Star break, when the team reconvened in Newark, New Jersey, and practiced... <clears throat> It was maybe 7, but it might have been 8 o'clock at night. It was, like, later than what the practice was yesterday. In Newark, 
at the Prudential Center on a Sunday night, <laughs> and I was literally the only reporter there and got a whole bunch of, well, at least a couple of scoops. Rick Tockett that night casually told me after, yeah, he's going to put A's on Pedersen and Quinn Hughes. This was after they traded Bo Horvat, of course. Mm-hmm. So last night, again, uh, a lot of intrigue about what this team, how this team would emerge from the break, because uh, as last year, they made by far the biggest the biggest move during the All-Star break in, in getting Lindholm. And, you know, I was told <clears throat> when they made the trade, I reached out to a couple of people and they, they said to, the initial intention is to play him with Pedersen. So I, I wasn't surprised, and, and I also think that makes a lot of sense. I know there was conjecture, well, having Lindholm allows you to keep uh, the lotto line together, except we know that Rick Tockett is not a fan of the lotto line, which is not to say he, he dislikes it. He, put, he let them play together a while, and he may put them together again at some point. But I think this, this trade was always with the mind of, of getting a better partner, a better fit uh, for Elias Pettersson, and also a, a guy who can play center. And so I wasn't surprised that they were, they were on the same line. I was maybe just if I, if I were to guess ahead of time, I would have guessed that maybe you would see Lindholm as the center and Pettersson on the wing because Pettersson had been so, so productive uh, generally during that time as, as left wing with JT Miller. And I also think that Lindholm, you know, he's four years older than Pedersen. This is a guy who was a finalist for the, the Selkie Trophy. Was he the runner-up two years ago? Yeah. I know he was a finalist. Yeah, he was a runner-up. And, and you know, has a lot of, has a lot of NHL know-how and tradecraft. And I think it might be a little bit better in the defensive zone, but he's on the wing. Uh, Pedersen's at center. Of course, Mikheyev, who has a big challenge in front of him. I wrote about Mikheyev today uh, for Sportsnet. Uh, has to kind of get going, and talk it talked about that today. So it's going to be interesting. This is a team with a lot of, of options, and uh, I said in my story last night, <clears throat> and, and I, I stand to be proven wrong, as I often am, but I think collectively this is the strongest group of centers that they've ever had. And yes, I, I realize those great teams and, and the one that went to the Stanley cup final was built uh, on an axis of, of Henrik Sedin and Ryan Kessler. And they, they were fantastic players, but I would argue r- right now, as we speak, uh, Elias Pettersson and JT Miller are not very far off uh, those two players collectively in, in what they're accomplishing this season and, and certainly the offense that they're putting up. And then on, you know, they I I don't know when they last had a center. Well, I mean, Bo Horvat, but, you know, when they last had a center uh, of Elias Lindholm's quality to potentially be the third line center. And then beyond him, you've still got Teddy Bluger and Pew Suter, mm-hmm. which I, I say, I would say is what puts the Canucks over the top right now, as far as any other group that they've had, just the depth that they can actually go, you know, five deep in centers if need be. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to watch because there, there are options and talk talked about this as well, options that didn't exist before now that they have Lindholm on this team. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you mentioned the five centers. I mean, you can even go as far as saying they have six centers on the roster. If you consider Oman, obviously, is a center. They can play there. And also Sam Lafferty can play down the middle. So in terms of depth down the middle, I think it is the deepest. You can always talk about the higher end or whatever. But the fact they have seven guys that can give you somewhat critical, credible moments at the very least on the lower end shows you the depth that you have. And I think one of the intriguing parts that we're trying to figure out the rest of the way here, Ian, is... Which wingers are going to fit with Lindholm and with Pedersen, and which wingers are going to fit there? Which winger is going to fit with Besser and J.T. Miller, and whether they are going to have to add somebody else to the roster? And you know, Mikheyev's the guy that I know was asked about today. I know you've been asking about him as well. He's the guy that gets the first crack at this. But that's the biggest thing for me here: is do they have two left wingers that can fit in the top six with those guys? Yeah. Well, I was the only guy asking about Mikheyev today because uh, again, the the turnout is. Yeah. Really sparse. Um, I think Pew Suter has has looked uh, really good 
uh, at least the games before the break. And that's another thing. Like, I mean, it's going to be 10 days since they played by, by the time they get to tomorrow night's game. It's a long time. So guys who were hot may not be anymore. And guys who struggled like McKayev, maybe they're suddenly going to feel refreshed and reset. But Suter, before the break, uh, looked better than I thought that he would uh, as a top uh, top line left wing. And granted, a complimentary piece. He's not driving the line. But he seems to do the things that that talk at once of that third uh, forward on a line. And we know, he, we know he's had pairings for most of the season, Rick Tockett. And so the pairing now is Lindholm and Pedersen, or four now. And it's a matter of the third guy. And Mikheyev will get the first opportunity. But if it's not him, then uh, I think it could be Connor Garland or it could even be Dakota Joshua. I think Teddy Bluger can play wing as well, just like Pew Suter is. So I, I think that that would be the next step for for Tockett if he doesn't like Mikheyev. And, and again, I think he's going to give Mikheyev a chance here. And And we should all remember as well, you know, Mikheyev wasn't signed to be a 30-goal scorer. He doesn't have to be um, necessarily a top-six scorer to play on that line, but he has to do a lot of the other things that, that right now talk, it feels uh, Mikheyev can do better. I think Mikheyev will get the first choice, first chance, but I do think that Talkett is seriously considering dipping into the lifeline, the third line, and taking parts of that for other areas of his lineup and it's been something understandably he's been really wary of doing it because that line has been so good they have such uh chemistry uh together he always talk it does talk about the the uh connectivity of those guys how how well they support each other and and the puck and they they just are are you know one of the best third lines in the nhl but and, you know, we, we've talked about this in the past that, you know, if the guys are doing that well, then maybe maybe they're due an opportunity to play higher up the lineup. And I think that would be that would be the next step. I also don't think, for what it's worth, because I know you guys have probably spent a few minutes talking about the Lindholm trade since it happened on, on Wednesday. Only a few seconds uh, here and yeah, there. Really. Yeah. Just a bit. I, I, I don't think the Canucks are finished mm-hmm. by any stretch. I, I, I think for sure... Uh, they will add another defenseman. Now, it may be a modest pickup. It may be a guy to be the number seven or even an eight. But I think they'll get another defenseman. And then I and maybe he's higher than that. Maybe he's a, a top six guy if they get the right deal. But I also think they're still looking for another uh, winger who has the ability, not necessarily, again, not necessarily a guy who, who would be a 30-goal scorer, but a guy who has the ability to complement really good players and play in the top six. But for now, it's Mikheyev's job, it's Suter's job, and the guys in the on-deck circle are on the third line. We'll let you uh, get back to those delicious-sounding uh, chicken wings, but uh, just one quick thing. What do you really think Rick Tockett and Elias Pettersson were talking about today? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, that conversation went on for at least half an hour, and I don't think that I've ever seen that. And, and keep in mind, you know, this, this very personal, very uh, uh, one-on-one style coaching and tutoring has been a staple of, of the coaching staff since Talkit took over. I mean, at literally every practice, uh, before, during, and after, you know, whether, whether it's Rick Talkett or whether it's Adam Foote, Sergey Gonchar when he's around, sometimes it's Mike Yo. Often in Vancouver, when the Sedins are on the ice, one of the Sedins are talking to somebody one-on-one, just on the side. Uh, but I, I have not seen a conversation that went as long as this one did today between Pedersen and Tockett. And I wish I could tell you, Dan, <laughs> Snoopy, what, the, what they were talking about. But I, I really don't know. Uh, and, of course, we just have, what, uh, have to go by what, Rick? told us after that it had a lot to do with the new line and and Lindholm and different scenarios uh, they might try and then some other some other things about practices and scheduling and what does he think of this and what does he think of that but uh, Talkett told me 
after that there was, you know, it was all positive. It was a positive conversation. So maybe one day it'll come out when Elias Pedersen writes his memoirs. (laughs) Hi, Mac. We uh, appreciate the time as always. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your uh, delicious sounding meal. I will. I'll try to find my way back to the front door. My (laughs) eyes are watering with all the smoke (laughs) wafting over me right now. So uh, happy to happy to take a break. I'm kind of hungry after all that talk. <laughs> go eat some more ribs. Uh, there you go. Thanks, iMac. See you guys. Uh, there he is, Ian McIntyre, Sportsnet's triple threat, uh, joining us here from uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, on the Dispatch Plumbing Hotline. The hotline is brought to you by Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. The first call. The only call that is uh, Ian McIntyre, the triple threat here on uh, on Canuck Central. Now I want to have some ribs uh, and some wings, maybe uh, yes. some some barbecue. I, I know uh, there's quite a few good spots around the, around town. Maybe I'll hit them up tonight. But uh, I, I think I may have an idea of what I may order later tonight. Ooh! Now that I have ribs yeah. in my mind, a little mm. Monday night order session. Maybe, maybe might have to order some ribs. Uh, anyways, um, <laughs> now that we're all hungry, uh, so. I mentioned something um, there that we sort of touched on mm. in, in the opening part of the show. The Canucks aren't done yet. Yeah. And and I know even when, you know, Rutherford and Alvin were talking, asked about it after the trade last week, you know, they, they didn't say that, uh, they didn't say that they wouldn't be, you know, active before uh, the trade deadline, but they seem pretty happy with where they're at right yes. now. It feels like they're more in a, um, okay, we've made this big move, let's assess, and then as we get closer to the deadline, maybe we'll, we'll see what's out there and, and available for us to do. Yeah, exactly. And and I think you can give it some time here to see how the pieces come together. And, you know, Ian touches on something interesting and talk it, you know, he spoke to talk it, essentially just him and Kate Pedersen today, right? And and one of the things that he mentioned, talk it was, yeah, maybe we do have to Get, give Garland a chance. And, and as much as I want to keep that line together, it's not like if you separate them for a few games, all of a sudden that chemistry is going to, you know, vanish and they'll never be able to play together again. I'm, I'm sure they can, you know, regain their form playing together again. And somebody texted in, what about, you know, the idea of maybe a bit of a stretch, but I wouldn't mind seeing Lindholm centering Joshua and Garland, having Suter with Bluger and Mikheyev. I mean, listen, I don't mind something like that, trying it, right? Because... Garland and Beluger, sorry, Garland and and uh, Joshua have really gained some chemistry together, especially how they forecheck and attack. You could envision them doing the same thing with a different center, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Lindholm, because he's more of a facilitator, it, it could work. I don't mind trying that. If you re- reunite the lotto line, and then all of a sudden that becomes your kind of checking, you know, not checking, or t- kind of two-way matchup line, and then Suter playing with Mikheyev um, and Bluger or could very well work too, you know, if you want yep. to keep Lomon in the lineup and everything. So I don't mind trying that. And I think you should be trying a few different things to get a true sense of what's going to work and where you may have a deficiency. Because right now we're saying, hey, they need a four checker. But what if what they need is something different? Yeah. You know, so I think you should give it some time here to see how it all comes together. But I am expecting them to make at least one or two moves. And Ian mentions a depth defenseman. I agree. It's going to be something like a seven defenseman. You know, I I threw this name out there and just not as they're going to go get him. Think of like a a, a Chad Ruedel, for instance. Right. You know, righty defenseman. He's only playing like 12, 13 minutes a game, making 800K, dirt cheap. But He's been in playoff games before. He's been there before. If you have to call on him to play a few games, could he survive? I know he struggled this year, but something along those lines, because that's not going to cost you a lot. Yeah. You know, I can see them doing that, but do they aim a little bit higher for that forward? Um, we've seen teams have to go into their eighth and ninth defenseman as, yeah. as the, the playoffs go on. What do we always say? Come playoff time. It's a war of attrition. And, uh, you know, <laughs> sometimes it's it's the team with the, the best available still standing that, that ends up winning it all in the end. It, it's the forward, I think, that is the most interesting because, yeah, you've got Suter probably lining up with with Miller and Besser, you know, seeing how that continues to grow. Obviously, mm-hmm. Suter was having some success just before the All-Star break hit. And I like I don't think for me it's not a big name necessarily. There's not a ton of big names out there. They don't have a ton of cap space that they can really play with. Yeah. Unless, you know, there's an injury or something of of that sort that ends up hitting them and they can dip into a little bit more of LTIR. But it's more you're looking for the trait of 
uh, Taki keeps saying, we need more four checkers. We want better four checkers. You want a little bit more speed. Do they want a little bit more size? Uh, are those the things that they are looking for and which potentially available players fit those kinds of traits that are not going to cost a ton? Because the way I see it right now, like, especially in the top six, it's we have our duos. Miller and Besser are sticking together. And Pedersen and Lindholm, they're going to see how well that works. Beyond that, you know, it might still be a feeling out process of what third piece on those lines works best. But the duos are pretty much set. They are, I think, for the most part. Now, there is a world where Pedersen, and I know people text it and will they play to the lotto line? Yeah, I mean, they said, hey, Pedersen and and Lindholm play together for Team Sweden. Yeah, they've, it, but it's so different playing in, the, in a short sample in international tournament. You know, we said that with Louis Erickson and the Sedins, remember? Yeah, and, and I'm not saying it can't work and it won't work. All I'm saying is until you play together in the NHL, you don't have an idea of how yeah. things are going to work. In theory, it should work. The only question I have is they're both very much facilitators. You like to have somebody who's more of a shoot first guy on that line to take advantage of, you know, as much as Lindholm goes to spots, he's more of a facilitator, right? So you have two facilitators and it can work. It's more about, do you need somebody else to really disturb things at times, right? And that's why we talked about Mikheyev earlier. As good as Suter has been, I don't see that as being a solution for JTN and Besser. I think it can work in moments. He's not fast enough, nor consistent enough in the forechecking role. And Besser's not the fastest guy either. No. JT can skate though, and he can get in there. I just wonder about the lack of pace against bigger opponents, tougher opponents on that line. So I think he can give you some minutes. I don't see that being the solution, so to speak. I want more pace with JT yeah. and Besser. Um, yeah, like even JT, like he can get up there and, and he can be fast when he gets up to speed, but he isn't. And he does have some short area quickness, but he's not the most and, fleet of foot kind of yeah, guy. Yeah, and because he plays center, he's not often going to be the first guy on the forecheck. Yeah. So they need some pace to do that more consistently. And I think if you add that to that line, that could be really exciting. And then again, it doesn't have to be the higher end player. It can be somebody that can just do some of the things Suter does more consistently on the wing. I uh, I wasn't too shocked that Miller had a harder shot than Elias Pettersson, by the way. Were you surprised by this in the uh, in the competition, the skills comp? Uh, the shot? No, I wasn't shocked by it because uh, we, we've seen him you know, uh, Miller can can, really like, he can really like hammer it, you know, the, the thing that, uh, Pedersen always has over, over Miller, he's, he's better at directing the shot and hitting that top corner with, or even, you know, having the goalie go, uh, or go far side with the, uh, with the, with the one timer than, uh, than, uh, JT Miller can do, but Hey, JT one Oh two on the, on the clock. It was pretty good. Yeah. Maybe a bit higher than I expected. Yeah. But he's got a cannon. I remember when he came from Tampa and, and I spoke to some guys out in Tampa and I spoke to one of the players actually. And one of the things he said was underrated shot. Like he he may have had the best shot on the team. And I was yeah. like, what are you talking about? He's like, you guys got stamp calls. And he's like, no, man, the guy's shot's unreal. Ah. So, I mean, we talked about this when trade happened. Seen it, yeah. You know, we've seen it. It's And again, and maybe some hyperbole there, but I mean, he doesn't shoot a ton volume wise and he still scores 30 a year yeah. at a high percentage. And you see how he can rifle it. Like he's got a plus shot. Uh, it was fun seeing uh, JT sort of show that he can uh, stick with some of the the top guys in uh, in the skills competition. As far as Nikita Kucherov goes, the less said the better. It's San Rico and uh, Satyar Shah coming up. The legend himself, Don Taylor, is going to join us here on Canuck Central. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dan Richo, Satyar Shot is Canuck Central here in the Kintec studio. Canuck Central is for Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Camby and Maine or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. Uh, just seeing the Twitter highlight, Nathan McKinnon doing it again. Goes coast to coast on the New York Rangers and scores a big goal. Uh, if there is uh, one player that scares me the most <laughs> right now in the NHL, I know Connor McDavid is pretty good, 
but uh, there's more of an elegance to Connor McDavid. There's like a powerful anger to Nathan McKinnon's game that is just so frightening. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> no. He he comes at you 100 miles an hour, and if you don't move, he's gonna looks go like he's you. galloping at you, like he's yeah. a bull. No, he does. He does gallop. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like a rhinoceros. <laughs> coming at you in full speed it's, yeah it's just like you're you're just like man i just want to get out of the way like just don't hurt me while you're coming through here yeah he's like uh it's like marshawn lynch just coming down like straight through half back dive going right skates through linebackers. angry yeah skates angry is uh the best way to put it with nathan mckinnon uh could be a few scary opposition chances uh, for the canucks in the playoffs we'll get to some of those but uh joining us now he joins us every monday from uh Donnie and Dolly, the legend himself, it is uh, Don Taylor joining us here on the Dispatch Plumbing Heating and Air Conditioning Hotline. Thanks for this, Donnie. How are you? Uh, very good. I love that. Uh, uh, well, I love that you're back from vacation, so that's good. And then also, I just love the contrast between uh, all the best players. So many of the best players in the NHL. Yeah. Um, and, you know, McDavid and McKinnon, they're not the same guy. Uh, there's a real contrast there. I think well, somebody said Sidney Crosby's the, you know, the hockey's best you know, the most talented grinder, there's that. Yeah. Quinn Hughes, just, there's, you know, there's, there's so much difference there. Sorry, guys, I'm distracted here. Bo Horvath's in a fight here. <laughs> yeah, we're watching the same thing right yeah. now. We're both yeah. like surprised. Bo is fighting, and, yeah. I don't know who it is, but he, he didn't win. No, yeah. no, it didn't look great for he him. He did not yeah. win. Not sure what <laughs> yeah. Simon Benoit did to anger Bo Horvat in that way, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Bo, yeah. Bo took a little bit of a, took a little bit of a hurtening. Yeah, Benoit, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. He uh he he hit Matthew Barzell. Oh, and so Bo went in. Him. Yeah, Bo went in for the save. We didn't see a lot of that from Bo in Vancouver. But yeah, uh, what, well, that what, was did I just say the, that out loud. Connor Garland, remember? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that was the big criticism. There was the game in Vegas. I forget. Oh which yeah, cannot got taken oh, advantage. Colson got a guy like run yeah. over, and he just skated That's about. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and he took all sorts of heat for you know being there and not not stepping in. And then we we see this tonight with Barzell. Maybe he likes him better than Put Colson. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing when uh, you're right, Garland. There was a situation he got sucker punched in a in a. It was Tampa, I think. Ingus Sergachev yeah. punched him, and then yeah. Garland after the game said, "I've always said something to deserve it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sounds sounds like Connor Garland. Um, yeah. Canucks, uh, you know, we're we're coming back from this uh, this big break. Uh, you know, you mentioned I went on vacation. Lesson learned: this uh, even when the team is not playing, this front office is gonna is gonna do something big, and they go. <laughs> out and they get uh, Elias Lindholm. It's, uh, you know, what I said off the top of the show, Donnie, is, you know, th- this front office, they haven't really mit- when they- missed when they identify a player that they think fits with their team. They, they seem to have uh, found guys that, that fit with their style of play and how they want this team to, to play. And I, I feel like it's not going to be too much different with, with Elias Lindholm. Yeah, well, you hope that's the case uh, with Elias Lindholm. We haven't seen him play yet, but from all indications... He's just more of a sure bet than a wild card like 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 Kuzmenko, uh, who practiced today uh, with the Flames. I was you know uh, did a Lindholm with the uh, Canucks yesterday and, and today. Yeah, they don't they don't hesitate. And we made this point uh, last week uh, when you were on vacation, Dan. Um, and by the way, you weren't the only one. There's a lot of guys who took uh, <laughs> last, last, yeah. week, last last week off. But uh, you know he has that history. Right? You know, I know it's Alvin's the GM, but you you'd be naive to think. Rutherford didn't have a whole lot to do with this, especially with the connection uh, to Lindholm. And he did the same thing back in 06. He got, he got Doug Waite. I believe the trade for uh, the trade for Lindholm was made on January 31st. The trade for Doug Waite back in 06 was January 30th. And then what are the Canes? Well before the trade deadline is the point I'm trying to make. To get ahead of the curve, to make sure they get him, to give that player more time to fit in with the team. And it really worked for them. They got Recky too, just just before the trade deadline. So, and he did the same thing uh, with Pittsburgh for their first of the two cups uh, in, in 2016. He, he did the same thing there as well, where he got a, a couple of players well before the deadline. And we had him on our show uh, last week, and he said that, you know, look, I want guys to fit in to make sure they're comfortable once we get into the playoffs. So, um, you know, this just in, it, it seems like these guys these guys know what the, what what they're doing and. Look forward to seeing what Lindholm can do in that line with McKayev and, and Pedersen. Yeah, I think we're all super intrigued by it and ultimately how he's going to fit in. And, you know, the thing that's really interesting is that this might be the biggest price the Canucks have ever paid at the deadline for one player. 
Like, you know, we've, we've seen the bigger trades, like obviously 94, the big trades by the deadline, everything like that. But I can't mm-hmm. recall a trade the Canucks made at the deadline where or close to the deadline where they went out and traded a first-round pick and a prospect for one player. Like, I, I remember them doing it for a second-round pick and stuff, but I don't remember mm-hmm. them giving up this much for a player. And, you know, it's, I mean, and we all think it's worth it and we all think it's a good gamble. Yeah. But I was just thinking about that. Like, we're not accustomed to seeing that in Vancouver. Yeah, and it, it, it's big, but they they really haven't. I mean, all due respect to Rodri Kuzmenko, they really haven't taken anyone off their yeah, roster. 100%. Because, guys, I don't know how much he was going to play down down the stretch mm-hmm. in, in the postseason unless there was a massive turnaround in his game, and we'll see what happens with, with him in Calgary. And when you talk about, you know, uh, 94, there was that deal with, with Jeff Brown and, and Brad Hedekin and Nathan Lafayette, but the Canucks' hand was kind of forced yes. because everybody goes, well, it was Nedved for those guys. No, it wasn't. It was Craig Janney for those guys because yes. he, he refused to come to Vancouver. Probably a, probably a bad choice on his part. And he wanted to stick around in St. Louis, and they managed to get three players who really helped them. But numbers-wise, asset-wise, that wasn't as big as this one. Yeah, and, you know, you, you think with Lindholm – uh, there's obviously a little bit of risk here. He hasn't performed uh, as well yeah. the last couple of years as he did uh, in that season where he was a Selkie runner-up, and he had a, he had 42 goals that season, and where he really popped off. But you know, I think there's there's obviously a huge motivation here for him to to rebuild some of his value going into into the summer, going into free agency, Donnie. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, we made it last week as well. Like, it, it, it's that. And then he's, he, he's, what, he's got nine goals, so one more than Kuzmenko. You like a guy like that Jim Rutherford and Patrick Elvine, and you have to trust their, their talent evaluation, um, given the way things have gone. And you like that, you know, those two believe in him. And on top of that, he's got something to prove. Like, like, honestly, we haven't talked much about that, but, you know, he, he's got uh, something to prove, even with that great season with Kachuk and Goudreau and the, the Selkie finalist thing, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. So there's, there's still something to prove, and I, I, I kind of like that. He's still a young guy. And, and, and here's the other thing, too, is that even if the offensive totals aren't there, the 200-foot game makes him, make him, makes him much more valuable than a player like, uh, like Kuzmenko. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, in the cap space for next season as well, having that extra bit of uh, flexibility is another, you know, p- positive element of it. Because I mean, you mentioned how, how often yeah. was Kuzmenko going to get healthy scratch? If they held on to held on to Kuzmenko, there's a world where if they got to the offseason, Donnie, maybe they mm-hmm. have to pay an asset to move off of his contract. So the fact that you move off that money right now is a big benefit. And I think the bigger question we all have is, are they done yet? And then we all expect them to do something. Would you put it past them to do something bigger and more significant still? Well, I think maybe the, it might depend on how healthy they feel Carson Susie's going to be or how that recovery goes. And, you know, he's got, he's got well, the, the history this year, at least, of, you know, of injuries has been really unfortunate. And I think it, it, it depends on that. And we know that, you know, he's, He's benched Zadorov, who I think played played well, but there was that there was that benching. So I guess uh, I I wouldn't. When I look at their defense, I think yeah, maybe they could maybe they could use some help there, especially with Susie out. Um, so that's that that's that that's one area where I, and and a lot will be you know evaluating Lindholm and see how he fits in and maybe it's a forward they want. But I, I, I don't know. I just think right now as it, as it looks, then maybe some help on defense, maybe some depth on defense again, depending on Susie. But I, I get the feeling hearing them talk, as I contradict myself here, I get the feeling hearing them talk that they're going to uh, evaluate, they're going to stand pat and, and evaluate, and I think they want to give this group a chance. And so, uh, you know, but if, if it doesn't work out, I think defense is where they'd want to add. You think Zadorov has had the uh, desired effect since they acquired him? <laughs> I can't remember what the record is with him, but it's pretty good. And yeah. you know, I don't know if you have that stat there, Sat, but... Um, I think I, like it, seventeen it, three and two or something. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, it, it, so yes, it, it has had it was, desired it, effect. <laughs> you know, like hey, hey, look, I mean, the record with Kuzmenko is good, right? Yeah, I mean, yes. it's, it's just good all around uh, this year. Um, I, I think he stood up for people. I think he's better offensively than than, than people thought. Um, you know, uh, you know, there's, there's some thought that maybe he d- doesn't get along with Talker, didn't like that benching, but who wouldn't? I like that Talker said about. Sent him, sent him a message. He hasn't been like lights out, but I just, I, I just, I'm a big believer in you know the visual part of the game, and just to have those two giants together, or even if they're split up, 
just when you look up and you're a forward and you see that, that wall, I think that's tough to take. And I think that's what Rick Tockett wants, hearkening back to that Vegas interview last year that I always bring up every mm. time I'm on your show. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, I'm just so in- intrigued to see ultimately how these pieces come together. And you mentioned it, the fact that they made this deal early, now they have a month until the deadline to see how things go. And it gives them a better picture of what do we truly need? Can we survive with this? Like, what what are things that we can look for? So, so in many ways, like our homework, uh, Donnie, for the next month is to yeah. find out what the Canucks can improve or, or what, do they need to improve anything? So it makes it, you know, an added bit of intrigue here over the next month and how they play and how these pieces come together because I do agree with you. It's going to inform what they do at the deadline. I'm just so happy for Canuck fans that, you know, that you just what you mentioned here, there's just so much anticipation right now and it's a great uh, space to be in right now because, you know, the, the playoffs have been a mystery the last several years. And, you know, even when they made it, it was, <laughs> it was in the bubble. So, and, and the, the reason I say it's a great space because people are looking forward with anticipation to the first playoff berth, significant playoff berth that they can take part in in a long time. And also, it's not like that 2010, 2011, 2012 period where you, we were all, okay, call me in April. You know, it was almost kind of boring, all the winning they did. People forget they won the President's Trophy, not just in 2011, but in yeah. 2012 as well. So I love this, this, <coughs> excuse me, this space the Canucks are in for Canucks, the long-suffering Canucks fans. It's, it's really, really intriguing and just a whole lot of fun. And every game seems to be entertaining. And even when they fall behind, they're in it. It's just a, it's, it's been a long time for Canucks fans. I'm really happy for them. 49 games, if you include their OT losses, uh, only 16 losses on the season yeah. in the 49 games. It's uh, it's pretty wild, uh, the the turnaround this team has had. And, you know, the, the Western Conference, the way that it's looking, uh, you, you certainly wouldn't mind being first in the Western Conference because... Honestly, I look. There's there's seven teams that I could see going on a on a run to the cup, and then that second wild card team, whether it's Nashville, Seattle, maybe maybe Calgary sneaks in, uh, Arizona. I don't know, but you know that that seems to be the only weak link in the Western Conference. Otherwise, you know it's going to be uh, pretty much a, a heavyweight bout in every other series. Well, this is Gary Bettman's dream, right? Going back, yeah. going going back to the parody. start of parity and and oh five and and all of that and. But but it is it is intriguing and you're you're bang on and especially now well look at look at tomorrow night everything's going to go for their seventeenth win seventeenth straight win in Vegas and how how much fun is that for the people of Edmonton there's a cup contender you you mentioned Colorado obviously Vancouver people like Dallas L A is falling off but there's just so much there and look I mean nobody wants to go to a movie or any show and know the ending I really don't know the ending I know what people are hoping for in, in this market. But at least the Canucks are in it, and it's it's really really exciting. Uh, it really is, and uh, you know we're all intrigued to see what happens over the, this next month or so. But uh, we did see the All Star uh, festivities yeah. come and go over the past weekend. Here, did you have any any general or Canuck takeaways from what you uh, witnessed? Well, you know, come on, the the the, the Demko snub, Hudgate. <laughs> oh yes, uh, that Hudgate, right? And and I say that because you know I'm at, at heart, I, I know I'm on the radio right now, but I'm a TV guy. And that visual, if, if those two teams meet in the play, in the finals, it, I mean, it's intriguing enough going back to 2011. But it's just, that is just so outstanding. I'm not sure what was going on, if it was a bit, or if the, 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 there's something between them going way back. They're both American. Maybe they know each other from some camp. I don't know. I don't know what was going on. Or Demko just wanted no part of it. Demko's a smart guy. He knows history, as you guys know. He knows he knows NHL history, so I don't know. But that that visual was was just outstanding. I when I saw the, the uniforms as a whole, the Drew House uniforms, I thought they looked I thought they looked pretty good. And guys, how about this? Listen, the, the, where you work, ratings. I don't know if you saw this today. They were up like seventy percent for the skills, seventy percent for the All Star game. I think that the combination of uh, the, the three on three, the revamped basic skills and having all those celebrities around really, really helped. It was, uh, it was Toronto put on, I mean, we don't want to give Toronto too much credit. Sorry, dad. But uh, you know, that they put on a really good show. It felt like the Mecca of hockey. I hate to say it, but it, it it really, it really felt that way. And 
having Biebs there and uh, Michael Buble and the Mushroom con- uh, Comet and Will Arnett obviously was having a lot of fun. And the other thing that was that was a takeaway, you know, forget the skill that was. Not, I don't want to forget it, but you know, just if I can put it uh, aside for a second, I thought those celebrities, Michael especially, I thought they were. I thought they were in awe of the players. I thought they almost looked a little nervous around the players, which was awesome. Just shows you how, how Canadian they are and how much they love hockey. I um, I think my, my biggest takeaway was the crowd booing Nikita Kucherov. Oh, God. You know what? You're going to dog it. We're going to boo you. <laughs> and well, I absolutely love that. Too. I love that. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I mean, he's a, he plays for a pretty good hockey team. That, yeah. Uh, you know the the least well, other than last year, have trouble getting uh, getting past. And hey, he's, he's he's got the image. We've all seen his celebrations and all that. But <laughs> it was kind of funny. There was there was an element of humor, maybe just because it was him. Yeah. But uh, but thank God it wasn't it wasn't all of them. It was just one guy. <laughs> so I'll say that. Uh, Donnie, we uh, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for this today. So good, so good. Welcome back, and always fun, guys. Thanks so much. Uh, there he is, Don Taylor. Donnie and Dolly, 10 to noon on Czech TV as uh, Donnie joins us every single Monday. And it's on the hotline, of course. It's brought to you by Dispatch Plumbing, Heating and Air Conditioning, the first call, the only call. That is uh, Don Taylor here on Canuck Central. It's, uh, you know, All-Star Weekend was was pretty fun. You know, I, uh, I know uh, there's always detractors for all-star weekend and uh you know people got me i didn't watch the draft as closely as as maybe i i needed to while i was in cabo well yeah i mean Um, uh, you were focused on different things uh but the the highlight of kucherov dogging it in that drill and then getting booed for it like nobody everybody knows kucherov is as talented a player as there is in the league right like nobody is Mm -hmm. Uh, nobody is fooled by any of this that uh, he isn't one of those guys, whether he wins or loses in these events. But you want to see these guys give it their, like, at least try to make an attempt to try at it? I I don't know. Um, You're not doing it for um, anything other than growing the game. Because there are, like, my favorite thing about the All-Star game when I was a kid was the skills competition. I didn't love the game as much. It was the skills competition that got me every single year. Same. Watching guys rip it in the hardest shot. The accuracy shooting was always a favorite of mine. And so, like, that's that's where you really got to see, especially if you played hockey as a kid, like, just the level of uh, talent that these guys had compared to... You know, average Joe's. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I I thought it was funny the whole thing. I I couldn't care less to be honest. Yes. Like how whatever Kucherov did or didn't do. The one thing I found interesting though was there were players who wanted to be part of the skills competition. Yeah, Sebastian Ajo was quoted. Yeah, today. he mentioned that. You know, so it's like the one thing I would say is if that's how you're going to take it, and there's a million dollars up for grabs, and you have no interest in doing it, just just pass it on to somebody else. Yeah. I know it's different because you get selected to do it or whatever it is. Um, Maybe that's what I would say. Give somebody, somebody else somebody else a shot to do it because you know Aho was like, yeah, I would like to have a crack at a million bucks. I think other guys would have, but I, I really don't care about it. I, I listened to Friedman and Merrick, and they were saying people made the point that you shouldn't get voted, uh, you shouldn't get hard trophy votes because of this. It's like, dude, yeah, like get over yourself. Um, it's th- there. There probably are a few of the voters that may take it into account. I don't think that is warranted no but i wouldn't I'm, I'm with friedman on this i i wouldn't deny that there's probably some people that may factor that into their vote that's silly somehow that's silly it's that that has nothing to do with your value to your team yes. and what you've done it's completely uh he's having an unreal season he's uh, been incredible but right now my uh, my heart vote would go to nathan mckinnon in any case um a couple of things i uh, i still wanted to do here we talked to donnie there about the top teams in the Western conference. And it's obvious the Canucks are, are there right now. But as I look and I stack up these teams in the West and we do a sort of reassessment of the Western conference and how these teams stack up, like, I don't know if I see one team that really rises above the rest you know, Edmonton, you could say, 
with their win streak right now and the stride that they've found, maybe they still do something at the deadline. But I always wonder if goaltending and maybe a lack of depth in their bottom six and bottom D pair is something that might end up hurting them in the end as it has in the past. Because if McDavid and Dreisaitl go through one little cold spell, that could tilt a series, right? Colorado, they have a depth issue. I think that's very obvious. Vegas, you wonder about Jack Eichel's health right now. They've sputtered a little bit as well. Vancouver and Winnipeg, still kind of wild cards because we didn't expect them to be as good as they have been. But as far as like team buy-in and what they've done as a whole... They look very similar in how they've been able to buy into a defensive style and really won a lot of games in that way. And then, of course, Dallas and, and the LA Kings are, are still in that group as well. Like I can see all seven of these teams getting hot and going on a cup run. Absolutely. And now the Kings, maybe there is just too much, too many problems in LA for them to overcome it as a team. I still wonder about their goaltending. PLD has ruined the LA Kings. And I think it goes deeper than that. Yeah, I was having maybe. a debate with, uh, with somebody about it. And again, like I'm at a point now with PLD where I liked him in this draft class. I was... I was encouraged by how his early career was going and the monster performance he had against Tampa in the playoffs that year. I was like, man, yeah. this guy's going to be something. Even in the COVID year against the Leafs, he yeah. was just dominant in that series. But then it's kind of like he's good whenever he feels like it. Yeah. And he he has so many ups and downs and when he's bad, it's really bad. So like, I'm so out on him. Like I wouldn't touch his contract. Like that's not a guy I can depend on. Like, you no. see it now. It's, 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 there's enough evidence that I don't feel comfortable depending on him and he's got all this money. So I wonder, and it's not just him. I think there goes beyond that. I mean, for, for all the love that Kopitar and, and Dowdy get and they should for what they've done, they also haven't done anything in many years now. Yeah. And there seems and to be something amiss, right? So I have my questions, but their forward group, they have the deepest forward group in the National Hockey League. I was kind of going through teams again after the Canucks made the Lindholm deal. They're looking at how do you stack up against other teams' forward groups and everything. And anyway, you anyway you slice it, the LA Kings have one of the best forward groups. Yeah. And perhaps the deepest. You can make arguments that higher end isn't as good as some other teams, but through 12 skaters and four lines, like they have a very deep forward group. I still wonder about the third D pair. I wonder about the goaltending a little bit. But yes, you, could you see that coming together and they're a terrifying team in the playoffs? Yes, you could. I think Dallas is, is a real tough team, man. I don't think people realize how good they are up front. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of firepower up front. And they're very heavy. They have good forechecking. They can score goals. They can do a lot of different things for you. They have they a have top a lot of line depth. that can kind of stick with any top line in the league. Yeah, like and they have great goaltending. I wonder about their third D pair, but Thomas Harley's been, you know, really taking a step this year. They have Essa Lindell, Heiskanen, we know how good he is. And Ottinger, as I mentioned. So, I mean, I think I think Dallas sneakily, like a very sneaky yeah. team to keep an eye on. Like they could be a really, really tough team. The thing about their third pair, and look, in the playoffs, you can you can run and, and run hot with two two D pairs and play them, you know, 25 yeah. minutes each, right? And, and really spare your third 100%. pair. But like what we saw with Ryan Suter last year was when the games got tougher and the competition got tougher, he got exposed. He did. You know, at, there's at some his questions. Age. There's some questions there. But yeah. Every team has some holes. Like even Dallas, yep. there's some holes as we go through here on, on the back end, outside of their top couple of guys. Um, we mentioned LA and their issues. Colorado, there's no depth. But as long as you have Rantanen and we get Nichuskin back too, they score and a McKinnon lot of goals, man. The way that he is. And they're scoring a lot. Like they're, they're the, what, the, the highest scoring team in the league per yeah. game or something. So, I mean, they're, they're insanely talented still. And when you put Rantanen on the ice together with, Mc, with McCarr and uh, McKinnon, those three guys, and Taves, the four, like, yeah, that's like it's insane how dominant those guys are when they're out there together. So there's a lot there for them, but again, they have holes. Winnipeg, I think you know the Canucks are pretty similar in in overall strengths and weaknesses, but they're different as well in terms of the high end. I can see the Canucks winning against any of those teams, and I'm not saying they'd be favorites, but they have a chance. I don't look at any of those teams saying, "Oh my, I hope they don't meet these teams." Yeah, like a, you know, like they have a chance. This text says none of those teams are bulletproof. There's no Colorado of a couple of years ago, and I think that's right. Yeah, there there is no like all seven teams have great points, and they also have their flaws yeah. where where they can be beatable, and a lot of it has to do with depth. Uh, again, I think a big part of that is the flat cap over the last couple of years. The teams that have been at the top haven't really had a lot of, of room to maneuver and continue adding yeah. to their teams. It's been a lot of subtracti- subtracting. That's what's happened with Colorado. Um, uh, you know, I, I could see you power ranking the Western Conference right now. For me, 
right now, Colorado, Vancouver, Winnipeg, or Edmonton, all worthy of being a top spot in your power ranking type team. I'd say Dallas as well. Like right now, I think Vancouver should be number one in your power rankings. Yes. I mean, look at the record. It's power rankings also a, a reflection of how you're playing currently. Yes. Right, and and what your form is basically been like. since the beginning of December. What Dallas? Uh, sorry, Winnipeg, Vancouver, and Edmonton are the three best teams in the league. Yeah, and the Canucks right now have a six point gap between them and the Winnipeg Jets. Now Winnipeg has two games in hand, but mm-hmm. still. So I think it's fair to say Vancouver power ranking right now the number one on that list. Um, and then I think Dallas is in that discussion. To me, the four teams right now are Vegas, I'm sorry, Vancouver, Colorado, Dallas, and Winnipeg. Like Those are the four teams that have really separated themselves. The way Edmonton's going, they're going to make it five. And if and when Eichel comes back and Vegas gets back in the gear, there are six. Like yeah. Those are the six to me. I think LA falls down a little bit, but they're going to be a hell of a team. They're going to be the second wildcard team most likely, yeah. and they could knock off. Like If, if they pay, play Colorado, well, they I could I don't know if Colorado. they'll be the second wildcard team. Well, yeah, I guess they... Well, no, I mean, the, sorry, first wildcard team. They yeah. could be, I mean, they could be the second too, depending on how it goes. But if they're the first wildcard team, yeah. sorry, first wildcard team, you're still playing Colorado. You're yeah. playing Dallas, maybe. They could win that round. Yeah. They easily could. Like, I don't want to play LA in the first round. No, I. it, it would be like, look, there's, there's really, and hey, we saw this last year with, well, Seattle had over 100 points last season when they, uh, when they won their first round series. But there's really only one team that's going to make the Western Conference playoffs that you're like, okay, this should be a layup. Anything can happen in the playoffs. Hey, you get Nashville, UC Soros gets hot. Maybe some things happen. You never know. Get a couple of bad bounces. Things happen in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I understand that. But there's only one team that's going to be a heavy underdog in the first round of the Western Conference playoffs, and it's whatever team that second wildcard team is going up against. Yeah, Nashville, Seattle, Calgary, like they're just, they're not in the same class as these other seven teams. And I think that puts a huge incentive on winning, you know, the Western Conference and why the Canucks, even as good as they've been, there's still not a huge gap between them and these other teams, obviously. So this back half of the season... Still has a ton of meaning to it for Vancouver. 100%. Quickly, we've got to go. I know Ben's going to be mad at us here, but Raj says, what are the Canucks' flaws? I don't see any right now. I think the PK can still get better, yep. right? When the power play has kind of come down from being... These are not flaws. It's more about you know perfecting things. The PK is kind of average. Can that get to being a strength? It's mm-hmm. trending that way. I'd say the only flaws you look at, and I'm not sure they're flaws. It's more about areas you would like to improve on. Top six left winger yep. is an area you'd want to improve. And could you add one more top four D-man? And if you do that, like, you might be flawless, so to yes. speak. And, and the point is, no team is flawless. Every team has some level you'd like to upgrade. And the Canucks, I think their strength is having Hughes and Hironic on the back end. And then you can debate, do they have any bonafide top four guys? Do they have a few guys that are four fives type of deal? Could you use another right-handed guy that can play your top four and really stabilize things? So you can you can look at those things, for instance. Like I think a flaw would be actually Dan in the postseason if you have to have your second pair be two lefties. That's something another team can forecheck and, and expose slightly. Not not that you're going to lose a series, but it becomes something that a team can attack. You know, and those are the types of things that you try to shore up if you can. But those are the, the only so-called flaws that we see currently with this Canucks team. Stan Richo and Satyar Shah, you are listening to Canucks Central.